0: Listen
1: Welcome to a very special edition of the showroom. All part of the car sales suite of pods here at Listener. Greg Rust with you. Joined today by Fian Great to have you with us. Uh, you've come in, I think, in thongs. Am I right in saying you've probably got a surfboard in the back of the car? Would you drive in today? Come on. This is correct. Uh, Porsche Macan T
2: oh. does does fit a surfboard and. Uh, Good to see you, Rusty. G'day, everyone. Great to be here, and uh, and yeah, this is this is a big day. We're all
1: very very excited to uh, to talk about uh, something very special. The 2022 Car Sales Car of the Year Award, proudly presented by Bingle, just been announced. We'll get to it shortly. You may have seen it on uh, Sunrise this morning. We're going to talk about the winner, the really tough judging process, some great cars in the running. We have a representative standing by too from the winning manufacturer. They're going to come on for a, a conversation a little later on. We're going to look at a cool used car in the marketplace that caught our attention as well. How the heck do you get a job, and you've done it for, for many years now, as a judge on car of the year? It doesn't get much better than that, does it?
2: It's pretty awesome. I won't <laughs> lie. It's... uh <laughs> Some people say, is that the best job in the world? And I say, yeah, it probably could be. Um, it's uh, it's a lot of hard work. I think you've got to have a really strong work ethic and uh, a little bit of luck too. I mean, there's not many gigs for motoring journalists out there. Um, so in a lot of ways I've
1: been fortunate, but I think, you know, Bit of hard work too. Never goes astray, and it brings a great group of people with a lot of oh, uh, yeah. experience in that that space together for that process to get a bit testy at times. How do you- oh, you better believe it. Um, <laughs> yeah, the final day of judging was uh, interesting to say the least. Good, you've got an opinion. I like that. We want you to get on the soapbox today too, because we've got a regular segment. Sammy Childwood's had a go. Mike Sinclair's had a go. It's your turn today. We call it unpopular opinions. Have you got your best talkback radio? You know, prep ready. I do, I do, and Just a little I little reckon- teas. What 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 can we expect? Maybe from an unpopular opinion from you. Well, it could be the fact that maybe European cars aren't the be all and end all. Ooh, wait, standing by for that one. Lots of news. Um, you can get it daily. Your daily fix. You can get it hourly. Whatever you want at the car sales website, of course. Um, Korean. Utes, they're coming. Be still my beating heart. (laughs) A lot of people
2: are dismissive of this, but when the Koreans put their mind to something, they
1: do a pretty good job, as we will discuss. Okay, that is coming up a little bit later. If you haven't caught the showroom before, you can listen for free via the listener app or wherever you get your pods for that matter. Make sure you check out the other offering, What's Under the Bonnet, our electric car podcast, everything happening in the whole world, the new world of electric cars. And very soon we're going to be releasing another podcast. So keep an eye and ear out for that on the car sales social media channels. Our colleague Anthony Matafari is all over this. He's going to come in to talk about that and something else. Yes, it's Best First Car. This is another of
2: our annual awards and we're looking at affordable vehicles. We're looking at entry-level models, vehicles you might buy for your son and daughter or they might buy, you might help them to buy it. Um, What was your first car? Come on. Oh, my first car was a Ford Falcon XC,
1: 1979. Beige Holden Gemini. That's a story for Whoa. another another <laughs> another episode. Make sure you keep an ear out for that. Right, let's get to it. Our first seg usually dedicated to a major launch today. It is all about a major announcement, complete with a cool trophy. This is a very big deal on an annual basis for the crew at car sales. It's been a long time
2: coming. We've Everyone's been super excited about it and uh, yeah, we're really pumped to announce
1: the winner and uh, you you may have seen it on TV this morning. We'll build up to the announcement by just explaining a bit about the process, just how important this is in the shelf of awards that you offer because we often cover best car here but car of the year is next level in that regard and you're big on keeping the whole Pandemic in the rearview mirror, as am I. But it was great that all of you could come together for this process once again. One of the best things about this, as
2: well, has been the fact that we haven't been able to get the whole team together for a long time since 2019. You know, everybody has got their stories about uh, lockdowns and COVID. We're not going to get into that today, obviously. But um, but it was fantastic to get the band back together to have the whole crew. I mean, we've got journo's in Queensland, Sydney.
1: All around the country and uh, and getting the team back together was just phenomenal. Speaking of the band, uh new album out very soon. Why don't we bring in the lead singer? He is the managing editor of car sales. Bring him into the conversation. Martin pettendy welcome. Marty, this has, has been a very big process in terms of data, but also hugely important from a feel and experience
3: standpoint with the with the big judging panel that you have. That's right, Rusty. This is our flagship event. Happens once a year. We haven't done a physical all-in at the same location test for car of the year for a couple of years due to pandemic. So it was great to have the band back together. Ten judges, closed circuit. In this case, we used the former GM Holden Lang Lang Proving Ground facility. Fantastic place. Such a tragedy it's going to waste.
2: Couldn't agree more, Marty. And for me, it was extra special too because I've never set foot at Lang Lang before, you know, like I've been, I've been doing this thing since the early 2000s, and yeah, just to spend time at this this place where so many Holdens got developed, it was it was a little bit bittersweet. And as you say, it, one day it might become a housing estate, which would be very sad.
3: Well, you're spot on, and I've been there many many times, but I've never seen it in such a, a, a state of disarray. You know, the, um, there's a couple of people there still maintaining the place. It's for sale, uh, but the grass is long. The, the Wallabies are uh, invading the place. <laughs> and and, and worse still, all the tracks are, are uh, because they've had such little use. You know, the, the bitumen's covered in moss. It's all very slippery. There's, there's no maintenance being done. So not ideal, but still a great facility. For all
2: that though, Marty, it was still an exceptional place to test these vehicles and really get down to, to, to what makes them tick and to figure out what we think what we know is the car of the year for 2022.
3: Totally right. It's still one of uh, only three or four proving grounds in Australia. It has a high-speed bowl around the outside, although we didn't use that. Um, we primarily focused on the, the ride handling track, which has replicates all sorts of road obstacles you might face on a daily basis as we kind of peel the onion here and look at
1: things like eligibility criteria and and the process that you go through, it's probably worth telling listeners just the whole reason behind why we do this. I mean, mean, we love cars, we love uh, evaluating them, but it it is about helping the public make really good
3: informed choices and decisions, isn't it? It is, Rusty. As I mentioned earlier, We do a monthly best award, so that's by segment, whether it's a small car or a large SUV or everything in between, including utes. This is our best of the best award. So it's comparing all cars against a set criteria, not against each other's. You know, it uses the same set of data that we compare cars against, comfort and convenience, technology, safety, Seat of the pants driving, but all of that is weighted at a fifty percent ratio against Red Book cost of ownership data. Now, last year it was forty percent. This year we've upped it to fifty, and that fifty percent component includes all cost of ownership parameters. You know, other than price, there's depreciation, there's running costs, including fuel, tyres, insurance, finance, after sales provisions, warranty, roadside assist, service costs. Um, technology and bonus points that are issued by the Redbook judges. So that's half of the vote. The other half is judging in our traditional best awards format.
2: Well, that's it, isn't it, Marty? I mean, we, we're consumer advocates first and foremost. We want to expose the latest tech, find the latest innovative vehicles, but also value for money is hugely important. And that's where that Redbook data comes in. And that that's obviously why it has such a heavy weight in the judging. It is
3: key to car of the year. Redbook has data no one else in the industry has. We combine that with a 50-50 ratio, judges and Redbook data, to come up with a, a unique pecking order that perhaps other Car of the Year awards don't necessarily cover.
1: Just drilling down on the eligibility criteria for a minute, I mean, you have things in there like um, reversing camera across the range, uh, five-star
3: cap rating is a must, isn't it? It is rusty. None of that's changed. Uh, in fact, it hasn't changed for many years. The key criteria for car of the year eligibility is that it must be an all new or at least substantially upgraded model. So major midlife facelift at least, um, obviously serious production model that's available to the public and also available for us to test by October 31. So the end of last month, in fact, um, needs to be priced under $250,000 or at least one variant thereof and crucially two safety non-negotiables are reversing camera and autonomous emergency braking which I think is the greatest contributor road safety since the seatbelt.
1: Finn can we get into with both of you here with Marty for that matter too I I mean you've got hundreds of eligible cars to choose from here how the heck do you whittle it down to the the contenders? Well, it's a lot of arguing, Rusty. Um, <laughs> look, it, it's a fascinating methodology
2: to to drill down and figure out what goes into those final cuz we have it goes from hundreds of eligible cars into about 30 contenders. And then those 30 contenders go into 12 finalists, and it's those 12 finalists, 10 that we pick and two wild cards, those are the 12 cars that we take to Lang Lang. We spend a full week testing. We do urban testing. We sit them in a in a in a static array and we we pour through them we go over every feature everyone uh gets to ask questions and and it's a it's a fantastic way to get into these cars and we we really do get right down into the nitty gritty it's, it's it's a phenomenal process
1: righto marty reveal the 10 finalists and the the two wild cards that uh, that Finn was just talking about
3: yeah rusty it was a pretty diverse group again this year and i guess no surprise that we had nine suvs in the field this year that's a Reflection of the market. Five of the EVs were also SUVs, and all of those vehicles were dedicated um, electric vehicles. So we've got vehicles as diverse as the BYD Atto 3, an all new dedicated SUV from a Chinese startup. At the other end of the scale, we've got the new Jeep Grand Cherokee, which is a full size seven seat luxury family SUV with no electrification. In between, there's everything from a Tesla Model Y. Is the sister model to the Model 3, the Kia EV6, the system model to the Hyundai Ionic 5, the Genesis GV60, which is another dedicated SUV from Hyundai's luxury brand, very impressive vehicle. But there can only be one winner.
1: I'm glad you say that. Can we get the sound effects department to roll a bit of a, a bit of drums for us, please? A bit of drum roll action here, Marty. Who? The
3: envelope's already open. Tell us who the winner is. Rusty, I'm pleased to announce the Car Sales Car of the Year for 22. Proudly presented by Bingle is the Kia EV6.
1: Congratulations to everybody at Kia Australia. I would imagine it was difficult to narrow down that one final standout. What were the standout things for you? What gave it that little edge? First and foremost, for me
2: personally, the suspension tune. It's one of the only vehicles here that... They take the springs, the dampers. They have a dedicated Australian team that tunes it for local conditions. And on that that ride and handling track in Lang Lang on the proving ground, it was just phenomenal. In the city as well, it just it ride and handles so well. It's 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 a very impressive vehicle. But as well, it's it's it wins a lot of kudos for its innovation. I mean, it's an EV. A lot of people love them. A lot of people don't. But it's got this V2L, which is vehicle to load system. So basically, you've got a three-pin power point um, inside the car and outside the car. You can plug in a projector, you can plug in a, a fridge, uh, charge your laptop, do anything you want. Little things like this really help it out, and it's it's a reasonably good size too. There's pretty good
1: room for a full family in there. Right, Marty. What about your uh, take on this?
3: Look, I think Feen is right. There's always big debate when it comes to car of the year, and you could argue. The result is not a surprise, given the EV6 is the sister model to last year's car of the year. Um, It narrowly missed out. The Kia EV6 didn't quite arrive. There's a massive long waiting list. The the ride handling package is locally tuned and vastly different to the Ioniq 5. But there are other reasons the Kia came out on top. And firstly, it was an almost unanimous vote from most judges for 50% of the vote. And for the other 50% of the vote, the EV6, like all EVs, actually did very well for cost of ownership. Um, the EV6 is, is actually cheaper than the IONIQ 5. It's got a bigger battery at base level, therefore, a longer, longer range. Um, the ride handling we've covered, the cost of ownership was top of the class for all vehicles, believe it or not. Yes, it might cost you 70 grand to buy one if you're prepared to wait uh, at base level. But the cost of ownership over five years is actually very competitive, if not better, than any equivalent. So here's an EV that ticks the boxes for most people to own over a long period of time. All the same reasons the Ionic 5 won last year, but the Kia goes one better for similar technologies, but an even better local ride handling tune
1: and before we wrap up this segment worth noting a couple of other highly commended here one of them is the Cupra Formentor now that might
2: sound like something you brew beer in but it's not <laughs> it's not <laughs> Cupra stands for cup racing it's a Spanish brand it's owned by the Volkswagen group, group so yeah. essentially this vehicle this Formentor is a is a is a smallish SUV what they've done with the design and the overall packaging—it's it's a far more livable vehicle, and it was the only combustion engine car in our uh, in our top three there. And the other one was the Genesis GV60, another EV which um, which really surprised on a lot of levels, including the fact it was blindingly quick. This thing was so fast. I mean, we obviously, don't vote
1: purely based on pace, but um, it shocked a lot of people with just how quickly it launched. Now, Marty, before you go, we've been told to ask about table tennis and pool comps during the
3: downtime. Did you actually even have any damn downtime in this process? I don't think we actually did, Rusty. That's a vicious, <laughs> nasty rumour. And uh, unless somebody's installed them at the, the Holden Chalet on the Proving Ground, I'm not aware of any such uh, rumours
1: Okay. We've got to go. We've got a very special guest from Kia standing by because we want to celebrate this win. Marty, thanks to you. And don't forget you, your, our listeners, can read all about the Car Sales Car of the Year, proudly brought to you by Bingle. You can check out video reviews and a whole lot more just by going to the Car Sales website, carsales.com.au. Highly appropriate at this point that we congratulate the winning manufacturer from Kia Australia. Their general manager marketing is on the line. Dean Norbiato, I would imagine uh, there's a lot of very proud people in the office today.
4: Absolutely. It's uh, a tremendous validation of the product. Um, Awards like this, uh, a a big deal um, right throughout the entire business. And it is a a chance and what we use it uh, for to celebrate um, right from the people in after service to the team in marketing and the um, the guys in finance as well, it is a whole of business uh, award, and that's how we see it. What's the EV6
1: sort of change? You know, in terms of Kia's perception in your mind in in the marketplace. I mean, you've just talked about the the cachet of the win. We know about the quality of this car. What it what it had to beat to get mm-hmm. it. Does it does it bolster the, the 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 perception of the company in that regard?
4: Yeah, it's a look. Uh, To take a a small snippet of time to give it further context, Um, this journey really started a a while ago. I I would almost cast back to 2014 when the brand was selling 22,000 cars, 23,000 cars in this country, and we needed a step change. We needed a circuit breaker. The team at the time brought in the seven-year warranty, of which I'm sure a lot of people know when um, the Kia brand stood for this warranty for some time. And from there, 2017, we got a car called the Stinger, which, again, was a, you know, rear-wheel drive twin-turbo sedan that went zero to 100 in under five seconds, and people again started to notice and tweak, and that paved the way for the new Sorrentos and the Celtos and other models um, to come into the fold. And then as the brand was further growing, we took what could be seen as a commercial suicide. We completely changed our logo to something that was completely unrecognisable from the predecessor. But what that allowed us to do is cut the cord of the previous perceptions and latent perceptions of the Kia brand and move forward into a new direction. And leading that charge to move us forward was the EV6. So this vehicle had a lot on its shoulders to carry forward, um, but what it has done is completely changed the perception um, of the Kia brand and allowed us to shape a new future. Um, for Kia off off a single model. Um, It is the sharp edge of an evolution um, sword that's coming um, and one that we're so proud to have in our stable. An award like this is
1: the realisation of a lot of work over a long period of time. Can we touch on design process here for EV6 and then look at um, how valuable you think performance is because it's got a 450 kilometre range, this car, doesn't
4: it? Yeah. Yeah. And, And the EV6 uh, also has a GT variant that's coming out early next year. Um, we'll use the Australian Open as a bit of a launch platform um, for that car. But what we find, I mean, we do a lot of research, both quantitative and qualitative, of the consumers about what they like um, and why they're purchasing electric cars. And obviously the you know good for the environment is an element that they will um uh, that they will tick and, and rank quite highly on the reasons to purchase, but when you actually uncover it further, the performance aspect of EVs is really what gets people going. What we're looking at at the
2: moment is a lot of high-end stuff. You know, if you look at what yeah. BMW and Mercedes are doing, all their EVs are very expensive. You know, they're they're yep. close to six figures. This is a very expensive car for you guys as well. It's around seventy grand. Are we going to yep. see forty grand EVs from you guys at some stage? Is there going to be the the real mainstream car that's going to break open the, uh, you know, the EV arena for a lot of people.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we have quite a robust product portfolio and our Plan S guided globally which is, uh, you know, adding a couple of EVs a year. Obviously, the Australian market, we have our hand up as high as possible to get every one of those. Um, we know that there's an appetite based on the interest from EV6 alone. Just after launch, there was over 30,000 expressions of interest on that one vehicle. Wow. And the only one that got close to that was Stinger, as you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, in terms of that level of interest in the Kia badge. So the, the, the interest is there. Um, For the cars, and I do believe that over the next two to three years, um, there will be an absolute um, explosion of different options. Call it entry level, up to performance, to family, up a large SUV. I mean, the EV9 that's coming um, uh, globally being released next year, we're talking like a seven seat SUV that, uh, again, um, something that we've very much got a hand up in the Australian market um, to, to bring it down under. That's going to be
2: huge. That um, that large SUV segment is very popular. It's, it accounts for a huge amount of the uh, roughly 1 million annual sales we see in new cars in Australia every year. But there's another segment that is also huge, and you probably know where I'm going with this. Um,
0: <laughs>
4: the hay haulers, mate. Up.
2: The hay haulers. Dual cab utes. Um, uh, you've got companies like Ford and Toyota who sell an incredible amount of utes every year in Australia and globally. Yep. Whereas the Koreans, Kia and Hyundai, the two biggest Korean car brands, are conspicuously absent. Um, But it's my understanding. In fact, it's not my understanding. I know that you guys are working on a ute. We've seen spy pictures of this ute very recently and everyone's very excited. Can you tell us anything about it?
4: Um, I can tell you that prototypes like the one that I'm sure you're referring to often get driven around the R&D centre all of the time. Now, that is about as much as I can comment on said <laughs> vehicle that you mentioned without me jeopardising what I love to do, which is my job at Kia.
2: <laughs> we touched on it earlier, um, Rusty and I talking about the uh, the car of the year 2022, and one of the takeouts I had was how well the ev6 rides and handles now you guys are one of the few car makers in australia that every single car you bring here you tweak the suspension you've got a guy in australia what's his name gambold graham Graham gambold yeah. yeah freakishly good at what he does and he makes the cars drive better essentially how important has that been to changing the perception of the brand as well
4: yeah, I mean, as much as we can localise our product to the Australian conditions, the better. We have quite unique roads. It is funny, Graeme, the, the guy that you mentioned, uh, he, he aims at potholes. The, the, the stuff that he does to oh, our cars... That's scary. ...is, is scary. His yeah. his tyre bill is through the roof. I mean, I've made that up, but he, <laughs> uh, honestly, he's so dedicated to his cause that every car that he tunes needs to be the best, and uh, I must say, EV6 is without question and he has said the best car that he's ever driven and the best car that he's ever tuned.
2: One question before we sort of wrap this up is supply. The problem is we've awarded this car. Like if, if a customer goes out and says, okay, I've seen this award, it's the best in the market this year, I want mm-hmm. one, how long are they going to have to wait to get one?
4: I guess the positive news on that is they're going to have to wait, uh, hopefully, a lot less than this year. With the back of the success of this car globally, we're looking at a significant increase in product supply of EV6 in 2023, which is only good news for the consumers. I'm starting to see them on the road, um, the six 700 that have been into the Australian market already uh, so far. So we're expecting more than that, Um, and the exact numbers I can't confirm just yet. We're going through that with Global at the moment, but expect a lot better um, supply on the EV6 GT line, uh, be it rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive, and even the Air um, and GT, the new GT that's lobbing at the Australian open in January. Um, Yeah, expect a better supply of of this um, phenomenal bit of kit. Dean,
1: well done. Some great news there. Australian Open's been huge for you guys uh, over time. I think I saw a little story recently too about uh, how good TikTok has been for you. Clearly you're driving that in your spare time, are you? You're a bit, a bit of a TikToker.
4: Yeah, mate, love it. Absolutely <laughs> love it. From all
1: of us here, from all of us here at uh, at Car Sales, a huge congratulations. Uh, crack the champagne. Please pass on our best to the team uh, and very well done.
4: Thank you, guys. Thank you, Fizzy T. Thank you, Rusty. Appreciate it.
1: I love this next segment. We call it unpopular opinion, stuff that kind of goes against the grain, maybe born out of observations that we have made in the automotive landscape, but majority rules do not apply here. Right, Fian, time for your unpopular opinion. Korean
2: cars have caught up to the Germans. Now, let me tell you why. And that's because there's this stigma around Korean cars. People think of the Hyundai XL, little little shitbox from Yonks ago that kind of fell apart. They were cheap, they were cheerful. No longer the case. Correct. Everything they do
1: has just kept improving almost year-on-year. Year. And, and it's been coming. For some time now. I can remember, I can't remember whether it's Hyundai or Kia, it might be Kia. But they poached Peter Schreyer from a, a design precisely. Sense, a, a, from the so you see he'd been working on German cars and they were trying to yes. influence that for you know many years ago now, weren't they? Every facet, and
2: let's start with design. As you hmm. say, Peter Schreier designed the Audi TT, one of the most iconic vehicles hmm. out there from Germany. And uh and they poached him and 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 he transformed what both Hyundai and Kia vehicles looked like and that was the start and then they just went crazy with quality control I mean almost every car has heated and cooled seats you got to pay for that in most BMWs mm. you want cooled seats uh uh-uh, uh that's going
1: to be three grand mm. it's impressive you know what has just happened, don't you, among all of your colleagues at oh, uh, no. in Germany? They've just gone, Fion scheiße <laughs>
5: <laughs> I'm a persona non
2: grata now. That's right. Righto, Rusty, let's flip this around.
1: What is your unpopular opinion? The boot is dead. It, it is in the automotive design trash can. What? You, you've just blown my mind. <laughs> Explain, please. Explain. I have teenage kids. I have a a ute, which doesn't get used as the maker intended. It is now the new family truckster for all of their shit. Uh, Unless you've got a hatch, you're wasting your time. And I reckon in the future, boots and cool boot lid spoilers are going to become one of those things that we almost look at as retro. How cool was that? How cool was that era? A bit of an anachronism. But you're going to take me apart here, I know, because you carry around with your surfboards and stuff like that. So dispel my theory, dispel my opinion. Come on. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I've got
2: two little kids. I need the pram. I need all their junk. Whenever I go out, you have to pack a whole bunch of
1: garbage in the car. So is a standard boot good enough for that now? Because I don't think it is.
2: Yeah. We've got a midsize
1: SUV. It's
2: pretty cramped for, you know, <laughs> family of four, I'll tell you.
1: Now, if you've got an unpopular opinion on cars or motoring that your mates just reckon is dead set wrong, don't worry. We will listen to you. We Might humour you a little bit, but we will listen. What is your unpopular opinion? Hit us up, podcast at carsales.com.au. christmas might be fast approaching but that doesn't mean a break for the car sales team or the podcast that we produce here at listener for that matter make sure you subscribe to the showroom and what's under the bonnet so you never miss an episode we'll be rolling them out for you to enjoy over the course of the break perfect for a holiday road trip or a flight to somewhere in the sun uh, while you're enjoying some much-needed r&r or if you're working while everyone else has taken off we give you permission to play our pods in the office Uh, and if something from our convo catches your attention the place to go to find out more carsales.com.au While this episode of the showroom might be dedicated to the car sales car of the year for 2022, proudly brought to you by Bingle, we do have, we're going to squeeze in some other news happening in the marketplace. Can we go Kia and Hyundai Utes? We sort of uh, ventured down this path. We there. got we're some more intel. We did, we did. I think one of the, the big chiefs um,
2: in South Korea has already confirmed there will be two Utes, one EV, one I think they call it a derivative, which means it's a regular ute with petrol and potentially diesel. This is huge. I think the Toyota Hilux, Australia's top-selling car for the last, I think, six years, huge vehicle, will be quaking in its boots. When a company like this puts its significant resource behind a a new vehicle, a new venture, they don't do it
1: half-assed. Porsche releasing a 911 exhaust-inspired soundbar. This is this is pretty this is pretty interesting. A um,
2: little bit more left of field. So it, they've taken an exhaust system from a uh, from a 911, and it becomes your audio system at home. This is for the ultimate Porsche fans, I mm-hmm. guess, because anything Porsche does is not cheap. You know that this. But is, you know uh, it's done well though. Oh, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. You know Porsche design. They know their
1: stuff. Their engineering is out of this world. Something a little different in the offering from car sales and. Maybe with a little bit of self-indulgence, but we're okay with that. That is that Todd Kelly, ex-supercars racer and very successful team owner, kept one of his Nissan Altimus, which was car sales backed at the time. And his young fella, who's just turned 17, Mason, he took this thing for a burn recently and went pretty good. He was quick. I mean, it's no surprise. It's yeah, like exactly it's, chip off the old block.
2: Yeah, it's like you know Mickey Dewan's kid. It's like you know there's, yeah. there's so many of them out there. And look, this is your wheelhouse, mate. You tell yeah. me about this.
1: I, I love it. So it was uh, a part of um, some sports sedan racing. He was in the national sports sedan field. Um, brought home some very very solid results. I just love thinking that his brother Rick Kelly, who won those races with uh, with Greg Murphy, Todd's brother. I'm talking there, Todd, who raced for. Holden racing team among others. Mm. Um now Todd's young fella, Mason, is is racing, kind of keeping the family love for it going. We wish him well with that. That is uh that is great. And I love the fact that Todd's kept the Altima, which wasn't a loved car, unless you were no. going to a car rental company and you might have you might have found one there. You wouldn't find many on the roads in Australia, but they race them here. It, it's interesting. Yeah, it's a huge car in the US, one of the yeah.
2: top-selling cars, along with Camry and that sort of stuff. But it never took off in Australia. But they raced it because they tried to that, – that was part of the marketing. Can we get more people interested?
1: This month in the marketplace, um, particularly – this is timely – with the trailer of that new Lamborghini movie, The Man Behind the Legend. That's, oh, that's out uh, or coming out. Uh, we spotted a Countach. Oh, yeah. You mean the Lamborghini Countach, mate? <laughs>
2: No, sorry, sorry. Countach. Yes. yes. I, I
1: immediately think of um, Cannibal Run movies. The, well, oh. that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of those cars. They
2: are uh, – the design of them is is quite brutalistic. This mm. is a very angular car. It sort of set the scene for the the Lamborghinis of today even. Um, iconic and,
1: though. An iconic shape, weren't they, with the doors oh, and things like
2: that, you know. Mate, they are beautiful cars. You know, they were the kind of car you had on your wall as yes, a youngster. poster. Exactly. yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, this is a phenomenal vehicle, very low Ks, very rare, very, very expensive. And, uh, and Rusty, you headed over to
1: Scuderia Graziani to check it out. At a fantastic place called Scuderia Graziani, all kinds of cool cars in here, from beautiful Porsches to, I can spot, missing GTR up the back, Ferraris and a whole lot more but I'm joined by now Gianpaolo Graziani because this is a very
5: special piece on offer here, isn't it? It is a very special piece on offer. We've got here a 1990 uh, Lamborghini Countach. Countach is actually the only Lamborghini that was not named after the Raging Bull. So the Countach translates loosely to plague, which is an old northern dialect in Piemonte. Um, used by the locals to describe amazement or even admiration. The Countach is a model in Lamborghini that really took Lamborghini to a whole new level. It first appeared, if I'm correct, in the Geneva Motor Show in 1971 and it immediately made an impact on people. And it went into production three years later in 1974 and it ran for about 16 years. It was a 16-year love affair till about 1990. <laughs> They wanted to make a statement that they cared as much about the design of the car as well as its performance. So if you can look to this beautiful car, you see the very lovely, sleek, angular, sharp, I guess, aggressive lines, the you know, protruding wing, the massive and powerful V12 engine. It really was something that you just didn't see in that time. This particular model has significant sporting Differences, styling differences, designed by a very famous and well-known uh, designer in the car industry, Horacio Pagani. He made improvements to the air ducts, among many other refinements. But mainly, it was the quickest, well, deemed to be the quickest of the Countachs. Um, and to find an example like this, a 25th anniversary in Australia, is extremely rare. And to find one with only 400 kilometers in as-new condition with such a great pedigree as well, a fantastic service pedigree and documentation behind it, um, it may only present itself once. The big question is why would you sell it if it's if it's something so special? Well, he's had the car for a very long time um, and he imported this car at the beginning of this year from the UK. He actually had Lamborghini Italy call him, poached him to try to purchase the car off him. They wanted to purchase this car and put it into... The Lamborghini Museum, uh, but the owner, who's a very dear client of ours, he wanted the car to stay in Australia. Without getting too much into, I guess, he just it feels like it's time to part ways with this raging bull. You said it yourself about naturally, a piece of art like this comes with
1: a you know a pretty significant price tag. Can you give us at least kind of a, a range that we might expect
5: this to to be headed for? Yeah, listen, um, we're asking two million dollars for this car, which is. Uh, deemed to be on the top end Mm -hmm. in in the Kuntash range and we're very optimistic to get close to the sticker price.
1: Well, it's been an honour to come in here and have a a look at this today. I could spend all day walking around at some of the jaw-droppingly beautiful things. Um, Go well
5: with it. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me.
1: This is a huge episode Joining us in studio now is Anthony Mattafari.
0: Hello, everyone. Mads, how are you? I'm doing well. Rusty, Fizz, good day. How are you, mate? Good, good. Now,
1: now, how the heck you've got a very cool podcast coming? Trailers going to drop very soon. We can't give too much away just yet, but can you tease a little bit about what you might be up to? Come on. Look,
0: we're going to be hitting the streets with some celebs. Ooh, uh, they're going to be driving their cars as I ask them some really deep and meaningful questions about cars, their life. It's quite scary. Some of the guests we have um, probably shouldn't have their license, to be honest. um, (laughs) I was going to ask, what's the driving level like? But let's wait for the uh, podcast. You'll you'll, uh, all will be revealed in due course. Right.
1: Um, So we've teased that. Keep uh, an ear out for it. Across the car sales social platforms are all right here on listener. Thank you for coming in today because we are here to talk about Best First Car.
0: Yes. uh, It's a big milestone in many people's lives. And because that is the fact, Car Sales has decided that the uh, first week of December every year is First Car Appreciation Week. Awesome. So not only do we announce our best first car um, based on new car models, we also have advice for parents of kids learning to drive and buying their first car. People who are getting their first car and everything you should know about that. Uh, We've walked down memory lane uh, for our team's first cars. Uh, and I know at the top of the show, you both were talking about your first cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Falcon, Gemini, come on. do oh, no, 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 yours. wait, wait,
1: wait.
2: Can
0: I guess? Can I take a guess? Go, a guess. go. Mitsubishi Scorpion. That would be cool, but no, <laughs> no. What was it then? It was, was a nineteen eighty seven VL Commodore. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. Sick. it was begrudgingly I was given it. I didn't want that. I actually wanted a Peugeot three hundred seven because I was, you know, thought at oh, seventeen years old Anthony, I was cool. A VL Stand, Commodore, standard
1: six, or with the with
0: the turbo. It was oh. a. It was a. It wasn't turbo, but mm-hmm. it was the Skyline. Uh, engine. Still a nice engine. Uh, very uh, for yeah. a, a very light car, used a lot of petrol. So I'm very glad the way that... you drove it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> my mum had one when I when I got my license, and uh, we also had an older VC Commodore, baby shit brown, terrible. Uh, but. I loved taking out that VL when dad would let me. I thought that was a a really good thing.
0: I loved it because it drove like it was a go-kart. Yes. Um, And, you know, as you do when you pick up a car that is much older than you, um, as your first car, you do make a couple of mods. You know, I had a better sound system in there. had a wood grain steering wheel. uh, But it kept it pretty stock because, uh, as you can imagine, a 17-year-old with P-plates driving around in a VL Commodore, the police did trail me a few times, trying to catch me <laughs> out. But no, I, it was perfectly road legal and I stuck to the um, speed limit.
1: You're more mature now. You've settled, haven't you? Now, this whole appreciation best um, first car is kind of a good thing in my world because I have teenage daughters, right? Mm. So my eldest has just hit the road. We've just gone through this whole process. And one of the things that, that stood out for me, and I never thought this way when I was younger looking at my own first car, safety rating. That, that's a big, big one.
0: So a big part of our best first car awards, the criteria is that all the cars listed do have a five-star crash rating. The reason we do that across a lot of our awards are that safety should be, you know, top priority, totally. especially if you are a, a new driver or a returning driver. Many people get their license later in life now um, or they haven't driven for a while. So these days, the crash ratings are Full of tech, so to get a five star rating, you have to have AEB, you have to have certain levels of um, protection in incidents. So, there are lots of uh cheaper cars on the market, brand new, that don't make our list because they either are unrated or have less than five stars.
2: So, we're, we're not going to name and shame here, are we? No,
0: but um, there is. Cars that won't make the list that are some of Australia's cheapest include the MG3, the Suzuki Bellino, even the Suzuki Swift. So mm. they're either unrated or they have less than five stars. Oh, no, it's not a first car, but Ford Mustang doesn't have a very good safety score either, does no, it? Yeah, things people might be surprised about, and, you know, we will probably cover this off in a future podcast mm-hmm. uh, coming to the car sales and listener networks, uh, everything you ought to know uh, about crash safety ratings are things like the Mustang, uh, Suzuki, Jimny, uh, lots of commercial vans, oh, yeah. um, they don't have five stars. Sometimes it's because that they don't have AEB as standard or things like that, or sometimes, as I think potentially the case of the Mustang, it is to do with how it crumples in a crash. Mm.
1: Now, uh, you're a dad with young kids, I think four and one, is that right? That's right. Okay, so this is something that you'll find, I think, in, in time. The way they think, the way they are programmed is different to us, right? And where I'm going here with Mads is that, what they want, what young people want in their first car, and what we might have, you know, had as driving decision makers, aren't necessarily the same. It's connectivity. It's all these sorts of things, isn't it?
0: Exactly. And I think buying your first car, so whether you're buying that first car for yourself as a young person or your parents are buying it for you or helping you, there is always going to be contradicting, um, you know, needs and wants. And I think for everyone's purpose, before you start searching car sales, sit down write a list of all the things that you want and all the things that you need. So you might want Apple CarPlay, but do you need it? Whereas do you need seven airbags? Probably.
1: I have Uh, a teenage daughter. She would say need.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that's the thing. Like, so with part of our first car appreciation week and best first cars, we, you know, we go through a lot of this advice. So if you are needing to have those conversations with your, um, you know, young adult uh, or yourself, um, you know, Plenty of tips and tricks to get you through that journey.
2: There's an exhaustive list of criteria that go into these awards, and and we spell it all out in an easy to digest manner. It's um, yeah, I mean we're proud of it, but we actually think it's it's a really good uh, good place to start.
0: And every one of our best awards, as Rusty, I'm sure you're finding out, as uh, we continue the journey together, uh, there's a layer of red book data. So for those who don't know, uh, Redbook is uh, Australia's biggest source of uh, new and used car pricing data and information basically about all the nuts and bolts. Talks about cost to own, um, servicing and all these kind of things that I would say 17, 18, 19 year olds probably don't think Think straight away Mm. when Mm. they go to buy the car. So Mm. there are plenty of car brands as adults. People love to buy and that's the thing, you've got lots of downtime, browse the site, uh, you can daydream, you, you know, I know the, you know, from the classifieds that we've just talking about, you know, you've got dream cars like Lamborghinis and stuff like that. But the reality is that during your holiday period as you're on the beach, probably look for a nice small hatchback that's going to get you from A to B safely. Um, and then you can continue your journey from there.
1: Every car has got a story and I love first car stories. What became of the VL before you go? Come on. Go. So,
0: um, by the end of its life, so I think it was clocking up nearly 30 years, one of the sensors in the engine was going. So, um, it would just cut out. If I was stopped at the traffic lights, the revs would cut out. My dad is a mechanic, so he kept replacing it. I eventually moved on to a Holden cruise, which is a totally different story oh boy. for another day. Um, I had that car for seven years though, so okay, it wasn't oh, too bad, oh. uh, but then I handed the VL over to my brother. It didn't last too much longer. And then uh, I think it was sold for parts.
1: There we go. We call him Mads in the office. You also get Madder Ferrari, don't you? I, I think sure that's do. the other one. Thank you very much for coming in and chatting with Thanks, us today. Rusty. Cool Thanks stuff. Thanks, we are just about out of time. Fianso, you've done a super job in the co-driver's seat today. How did you find the showroom? Oh, we too hard on you, were we?
2: First time here and uh, it's been it's been awesome. Really love hanging out with you, Rusty. and uh, it, it, Yeah, it's been good to get the word out there about Car of the Year best first car, everything we do. I mean, we've got a wealth of, uh, of information and data on our website. A lot of people think, oh, car sales, it's just where you buy and sell a car. The amount of editorial we pump out every day is massive. And,
1: uh, if you need advice, you need tips and tricks, check it out. That is the place to go. We would love you to subscribe to the podcast as well. Share, tell your friends about it, leave a review, shut that rusty up. That's another story. Uh, We will catch you next time on behalf of all of the team. It's been superb today to stop and to celebrate one of the big awards of the year for car sales. Car of the year. Congratulations to everybody at Kia. All brought to you by Bingle. And we'll catch you next month. Bye for now. Listener Production.